Today's scripture is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us. Almighty God, we come again to your word. Uh, we pray that we would have hearts that would be willing and open to be instructed by it. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, shape us and mold us and transform us by it. Pray, Lord, that we would not just be recipients of it, but that as it bears fruit in our lives, that other people would come to see and experience that good fruit that comes from your word. And uh, I pray that um, no work of the enemy uh, would steal, uh, distract, or take us away from what you would have, uh, you would say this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is John. For those of you that don't know me, uh, it's the new year. This is the first Sunday in the new year. Happy new year. Uh, how's everyone's going so far? 2024, you like it? Happy? Uh, how's everyone's new year's resolutions going? We're seven days into 2024, and my guess is there are three types of people in this room. The first group I'm going to call the failures. Uh, you thought that this was going to be the year, didn't you? You thought this was going to be the year that you committed yourself to a self-improvement plan and you've already eaten chocolate, you've already drunk caffeine, you found yourself six days behind on your Bible reading plan. <laughs> you signed up to the gym but you have not yet been. You're feeling pretty bad about it. The second group among us, I'm going to call the prematurely smug. This is me right now. We're still doing what we set out to do. We're a week in. We're feeling pretty good about ourselves. But let's be honest, a week is not that long. In fact, it's a lot shorter than one year. And uh, by February, we will be joining the first group. Um, and the last group, I'm going to call you the apathetic. You've had a few New Year's. You've tried the new year, new you thing for a few years, and uh, you realize that you are the same you as you were before. And so you've given up on self-improvement. <laughs> uh, you just are who you are. And maybe there's other groups. I'm sure there's other groups, you know, the 1% people, the David Goggins type people, you know, you have, uh, if you get that reference. You're just crushing your goals. You're going to be posting it in August, just making us feel terrible about ourselves. Um, but whoever you are, I, I think it'd be fair to say that it's difficult in January, isn't it, not to get caught up in the New Year spirit, not to get caught up in the New Year's optimism. The New Year is filled with new hopes and new horizons, new opportunities, dreams of a better future for a future you. And, and I think overall, I think we could say it's good, isn't it? It's good to have a moment of reset, to have a moment of reflection as we look back at 
all that has happened, and as we look forward and we strategize about what we want. So the question at the start of the year is, what are you hoping for this year? What are you hoping for this year? What is your desire for a future you? Maybe you want to be fitter, more disciplined, more present, more tidy, less distracted, less lethargic, less compulsive. Last night we were talking to some friends, uh, talking about here's one thing that we want to commit to is just be on our phones less. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Be on our phones less. That would make us all a lot better probably. But whatever your desire is for the year, here's one thing that I'm going to guess that not many of us who have at the top of our list, but I think that it should be, and it's this. Holiness. Holiness. I'm guessing that not many of us sat down in the week between Christmas and New Year's, and we thought to ourselves, in 2024, I want to grow in holiness. But what I want to argue today is that holiness should be our goal for 2024. Holiness should be our goal for 2024. And not just for you personally, but, but together for us as a, as a church community, that, that this should be our desire, that we should commit to and pursue holiness. And I want to persuade you today with, with, with two points. The first is, what is holiness? And the second is, how can we pursue it? What is holiness and how can we pursue it? So what, what is holiness? I, I, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the word holy. Some people are put off by the word holy. Um, but for me, when I, when I think of the word holy, I think of purity. I think of perfection. I think of, of moral purity. Um, and in a sense, that's right. In a sense, that's right. But, but while purity might be the result of holiness, that's not actually what the word means. That's not what the word means. You see, the word holy literally means to be set apart, to to be separated. And I think this is important because if we simply start with the idea of moral purity, I think what we'll be tempted to do is we'll be tempted to think of holiness as primarily about us. Primarily about us and and our relationship maybe with, with other people. But in reality, holiness in the Bible is first and foremost about God. It's about God and how he relates to us. You see, when the Bible speaks of holiness, it first speaks about God, the one who is called the holy God, the holy one of Israel, the one who, when Isaiah the prophet sees the vision of God, what do the angels sing? They cry, holy, 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 pronouncing Something of this God that has been revealed to the prophet. And so it is God who is holy. And and the holiness of God is speaking not of a particular attribute of God per se, but rather of his distinction, his, his otherness, his transcendence from us. You see, God is holy in that his goodness and his righteousness and his majesty and his glory and all of his characteristics are separate and distinct and set apart from us. J.R. Packer, the, the late great theologian, puts it like this. He says, holy is the Bible word for all that makes God different from us. In particular, his awesome power and purity. 
God is set apart in his power and his purity, in his greatness and his goodness. And he is so in contrast to our frailty and our weakness and our impurity and our sinfulness. Which is why whenever we encounter the holy God of the Bible, there is a kind of a paradox. There is a tension because in one sense, we are attracted to him. He, he draws us in with his holiness. But in another sense, we are terrified by him. And we are pushed away by his holiness. And we see this time and time again as we read the Bible, as people encounter the holiness of God. They are attracted to him, yet they cannot stand in his presence. That tension is worked out all throughout the Old Testament. So first and foremost, it is God who is holy. And his holiness could be described in that he is set apart from us. But next, as we read through our Bibles, we see that holiness is attributed to various things. To, to people and places and time even. And in every case, we ask ourselves the question, why is that thing holy well, it's because of a particular relationship that has been given to it by God. It's, it's a relationship that it now has to God. Things and people are holy because a holy God has made them so. We see it alluded to in our text. Peter says, quoting Leviticus, he says, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We might say then that holiness in places and things and time and all these things is derivative. It is a result of their relationship to a holy God. We might say that uh, when something is called holy, it is set apart by a God who is set apart. Now, as we, as we dig a bit deeper, what we notice about holiness is that there are two movements to it. There's a negative and a positive. Negatively, holy things are set apart from something. They're set apart from something. The idea is, is that something that was common is now taken from that and is now sacred. It is special. It's used for a special purpose. We see this all the way through the Bible with things and places. Something that is common is, is taken and is set apart from that which is common. It's called sacred. There is a distinction, a, a separation that is made from everything else. And we see this most uh, clearly in God's choosing of a people. God chooses Israel, doesn't he? In the Old Testament, uh, we're going to read all about this as we start in Exodus next week, which we're going to be in for a long time, by the way. <laughs> I can't wait. Here's a little preview. Exodus 19, God says to Moses to tell the people, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God calls Israel to be a holy nation. Well, what does that mean? It means to be a nation that is set apart. And so while all the earth is God's, he says, 
While all the earth is mine, I have chosen you. I have taken you from what is common and I have selected you, Israel, to be my people, to be distinct from the other nations and specifically to not be like the other nations. To to not be like the surrounding nations. You are to be set apart. And what happens in the New Testament is the Apostle Peter, he's going to allude to this and pick this up with reference to you. With reference to the church. He says, in contrast to those who reject Jesus, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So negatively, holiness is about being set apart from something, a calling out from something, a calling out from the world for God. But holiness is also positively a setting apart for something. Not just from something, but for something. You see, God doesn't just call us to be different from the world. Simply call us, just just be different from the world. He calls us to begin on a journey of becoming more and more like him in his holiness. He calls us to grow in becoming more like him. This process is often referred to as sanctification. This is a big word. It's a simple word, really. It comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. So sanctification is literally the process of being made holy. The process of being made holy. The process of becoming more and more like Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, now, as a quick aside here, as we're talking about holiness, I've, I felt in my preparation to share this because sometimes I think when we start talking about holiness, we can have some concerns. We can have some concerns, both personally and corporately, we can be concerned when we're talking about being set apart from the world, being different from the world. We can be concerned with how people would respond if we truly were. Will our colleagues start to think that we're weird? They already do. Will it disconnect us from our family and our friends who don't yet know Jesus? Will it put people off from Christianity if we look so different from the city around us? Will it, will it make us closed off, uninviting, unevangelistic? Will it cut us off from the world if we, as a community, pursued holiness? And I just want to say, I think that is a lie from the devil. I think that's a lie. You see, the truth is that we have nothing to offer the world unless we are distinct from it. We have nothing to give them if we look exactly like them. The truth is your colleagues will not become Christians because you act just like them. They will become Christians because they see something different in you. That thing that they see will be something that they don't have, but you have because of who you are in Christ. In fact, God's people were set apart so that they could be a light to the nations from which they were set apart. Do you know that? Look again at 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
You're meant to be a light to the nations in Christ's city. We can't be a light to the nations if we ourselves are walking in darkness. Unless the gospel takes root in us, Christ's city, it will never bear fruit in our homes and in our workplaces. Holiness does not make, isolate us from the world. It makes us hope for the world. So the question we need to ask ourselves next is, what does this look like? What, what does holiness look like in us? Or what should holiness look like in us? As, as I said before, to be set apart has both a negative and a positive dimension. I think it's helpful to think a bit like that. Because negatively, there is what we have been set apart from. And these are things that, that we now refuse to do because we have been taken out of the world. But positively, there's also what we have been set apart for, and that is what we now choose to do. So there's a negative and a positive. And throughout the Bible, as God reveals himself to us, we are given more and more clarity as to the things that reflect his character in contrast to the world, things that reflect his holiness. In fact, in the New Testament, there's a number of lists that are given that contrast the ways of the world and the ways of the kingdom. That contrast the old self, the Apostle Paul tells us to cast off, and the new self that the Apostle Paul calls us to put on. As we walk, what? Not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so I went through these lists and I thought it might be helpful to look at a compiled list. Give you an idea of what this looks like. And so there's what we have been set apart from. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthy and foolish talk, crude joking, idolatry, fits of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lies, sensuality, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, quarreling, envy, drunkenness, orgies, adultery, theft, greed, reviling, swindling, arrogance, rudeness, resentfulness, irritableness, boasting. Holiness looks like refusing to do these things. But then there's what we have been set apart for. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, thanksgiving, rejoicing, praising, encouraging, honoring, humility, generosity, hospitality, harmony, honesty, meekness, kindness. Holiness looks like choosing to do these things. Now, I don't know what you think when you look at this list. But maybe you just thought what I thought when I looked at it. Yeesh. <laughs> I look at the list on the left. I think, ooh, some of that's me. Look at the list on the right. I think, not a lot of that's me. I don't do enough of that. You know, it can feel like on New Year's resolutions, can't it? We fall into those same categories. We either feel like failures, or we feel prematurely smug. We look to the list, and I nailed it. Until this afternoon, you know? Or we feel apathetic because we tried this before, and we're the same us as we were. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is how? 
How can we pursue holiness? How can we pursue holiness? The, the obvious answer to this is just start doing it. You know, just, just start doing it. You know, stop doing less of that list and start doing more of that list. And, you know, in a sense, that, that's true. In a sense, that, that, that's true. What's the best way to, for you to start getting fit? Go for a run. You know, stop talking about it, John. <laughs> just go for a run. But just like New Year's resolutions, Peter knows something about real sustainable change, and it's this. It's that our inner life is what sustains and drives our outer life. It's that our inner life is what sustains and drives our outer life. And so what Peter does is he calls us to be holy by reminding us of two truths that we need to cling to that will sustain and drive our holiness as we pursue it, because I know you're all on board, as we pursue it this year. I think it's going to be helpful for us to hold on to these two truths as we enter the new year. The first truth is this. The first thing that Peter does is he reminds us of God's grace towards us. He reminds us of God's grace towards us. As I mentioned before, there is a temptation with holiness to get it backwards. To get it backwards. To start with us and not with God. Let me just say in the Christian life, always start with God and then end up with yourself. The temptation is to get it backwards, to start with what we have to do and not with what God has already done. You see, the simple answer to how to pursue holiness is to be reminded that if you are a Christian here today, that is who you already are. That is who you already are, or more accurately said, that is whose you are. You think about it for a second. If holiness is being set apart from the world by God for God, then pursuing holiness is simply leaning into who God has already called you to be. Look again at verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Did you see that? Do you see what Peter did not say? He did not say, be holy and then you will be a child of God. Be holy and then he will choose you. He says, as children, be holy. He says, as those who have been chosen and called, be holy. My eldest son, Oliver, has just started in uh, the public school system. And uh, he's doing great. I know everyone's got really strong opinions about this sort of stuff, but he's started, so deal with it. And um, we're, we're facing uh, the inevitable challenge of navigating uh, his relationships with kids in families um, uh, have, who have different values and different beliefs and different ideas about what the good is. And uh, now I'm not saying Oliver's the best kid in his class, but let me just publicly say he's not the worst kid. He's <laughs> <laughs> not the worst. Yeah. He's in the middle somewhere. Um, But one way to navigate this that we've been encouraged in is, uh, is to say, Oliver, other families might do this. Other families might believe this. They might speak like this. But in our family, this is how we behave. But in our family, this is how we behave. In fact, just yesterday, he said, came up to me. This is funny. Uh, He said, uh, Dad, in our family, we don't say, oh, my God, do we? And I said, 
No, we don't. He says, what do we say? I was like, oh my? <laughs> do you know what? As a parent, you have to think on your feet, and you're like, oh, now, now it's like our family says, oh my. <laughs> it's established. In the Briars family, you say, oh my. Okay. Um, here's what I never say to him. I never say, in order to be in the Briars family, you have to behave like this. You have to speak like this. I say, as my son, this is how we behave. And this is what's happening here. You see, it's our identity, Christ City, that precedes and determines our actions, not our actions that determine our identity. And that's the idea here. In fact, Peter is going to pick this up and carry this through in his letter. In fact, the, the next few verses, he says this, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do you see it again? If you call on him as father, then conduct yourself in a certain way. Knowing that you have been ransomed by the blood of Christ, act accordingly. Christ said, if you are his, then you are called to act like his. In fact, if you are his, then you will start to act like his as he works and he wills in you by his Holy Spirit. You know, God doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't equipped us to do. God doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already equipped us to do. He doesn't ask us to be anything that he hasn't already made us to be. Christ said, we need to think deeply as we start this year on who God has already made us. Christ do you know that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession? In fact, the word saint, you know the word saint that is frequently used to describe Christians in the Bible? It literally means holy ones, those who are holy, those who have been set apart. And so if you're a Christian here today, you are holy. You are holy. As such, holiness isn't an optional extra for some special few. Holiness is something that is the defining characteristic of those who live out of who they already are in Christ. And so Peter first reminds us of God's grace towards us in that he has already called us and chosen us and set us apart to be his. But second, Peter encourages us to set our hope on God's future grace. You see that? Look at verse 13 again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, a few years ago, my in-laws came over to Vancouver and we uh, chartered a boat, uh, a sailing boat, and we went sailing up the Desolation Sound. I don't know if anyone's been there. It's just up in the Sunshine Coast sometime. And let me just say this. I, I don't sail. I'm a sort of land-dwelling creature. 
Um, but my in-laws do, and, and so the whole trip, they were trying to teach us, um, or teach me specifically, all, all the things that you need to do to keep the boat afloat, which is, you know, kind of rule number one. And so um, a lot of the trip, I was at the helm. I was like at the helm when I could drag it off my father-in-law. Um, the helm, by the way, is, is the steering wheel of a boat. I needed to be told that. Um, but unlike driving, if you've ever done it before, um, the road moves um, because it's made of water. And uh, uh, so, so you, the point is this you can't keep the boat straight uh, just by holding the wheel still, because otherwise you're just going to go wherever the wind or the tide or the waves uh, take you. And so, one of the things that you do, one of the things that they told me, is that you have to find a fixed point on the horizon a peak of a mountain or, or some other distinct thing that is fixed in the, in the distance, and you set the front of your boat on that fixed point. And so while the waves move and the wind changes and the tide changes, that fixed point doesn't. That fixed point is the thing that keeps you on course. And, and this is the idea that, that Peter is showing us here. He's saying that there is a connection between our pursuit of holiness and where we place our hope. There is a connection between where we are, our pursuit of holiness and where we place our hope. And so he calls us to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning that in order to pursue holiness, we need to set the course of our lives on a fixed point in the horizon so that when the waves come and the tides turn and the wind comes up, we are reminded not just of what he has done for us, but as Paul says in Philippians, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Christ said, the good news of the gospel is not just that we have been recipients of grace, it's that we are promised ongoing grace into the future. The Christian life, we might say, is, is set on two fixed points. The cross, where we have been called holy, and Christ's return, where we will be made holy. It's his power that is at work in us that gives us assurance that we will be made holy. Do you know that? What a wonderful assurance that we have. That the one who called us will carry us all the way through. Now, at this point, I think it would be wrong for us to assume that this is in some way just a passive exercise. Like, okay, God, carry me. You know, let go and let God. Jesus has done it. He's going to do it. I'm going to take a break. No, I don't think that's the case because Peter goes on to explain how to set your hope. And it's very much an active process. What does he say? First, he says, prepare your minds for action. You know, the Greek here is literally gird the loins of your mind, which none of us know what that means. So, like, uh, it's weird. Uh, gird your loins is just like an ancient. Uh, back in the day, people would wear loose clothes, and before they went into battle, the warriors they would have to like tuck up their clothes, you know, because the men wore dresses back in the day, and they would tuck up their clothes as they went into battle so that they wouldn't trip on their loose clothes, so they could fight and run and do all those things without, you know, getting embarrassed and dying. Um, and the modern equivalent of this might be to roll up your sleeves. 
right? To roll up your sleeves in the way that we might roll up our sleeves to work or to fight or not to fight, to work. So roll up the sleeves of your mind. And then he says, be sober-minded. Now the idea here is not, don't drink too much scotch. Although, don't drink too much scotch. The idea here is to not have your minds distracted by the attractions of this world and dulled to the reality of God. To be sober-minded is to not have your mind distracted by the attractions of this world and dulled to the truth of who God is. And so Peter's saying here, just like loose clothing can trip us up, loose thinking can cause us to stumble. And just like too much strong liquor can, can dull our senses, so too can worldly thinking dull our minds to God. And what he's encouraging us to do here is to have a level of intentionality and discipline in the way that we think. In the way that we think. Christ City, we need to be diligent this year in the patterns of our mind. Diligent with what we think. Because as the waves of the enemy comes and as the tides of culture change that will take us off course, unless we have our eyes fixed on the horizon with our sleeves rolled up at the helm, we will go off course. And so Christ City, the question is, are we going to be intentional in our thinking? Intentional with what we give our minds to. Intentional with who we give our minds to. Are we going to be shaped by, by YouTube algorithms and marketing executives and whatever else? Or are we going to be shaped by the truth of God's word? Are we going to default to the thinking of our city that has no hope? Or are we going to be shaped by the hope that has been revealed to us in Scripture? Do we need, I think we need to spend some time dwelling on thinking about the grace that we have been received and the grace that we will have in the future as we walk this race. This year, we need to have our thought patterns, as, as Paul says in Romans 12, not conformed to the patterns of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why? So that we might discern the will of God. Let me, let me end with this. I think it's helpful with a sermon like this to have practical steps. Um, practical next steps, I, I think, um, I know that the idea of, of just like think better uh, is, is, is difficult and, and, and the Christian life is not just a cognitive exercise. And so there are things that we can do to help get our minds aligned with the will of God. And so I just want to give, I just want to end with six practical ways you can begin 2024 in pursuit of holiness. Um, the first is this, attend a prayer meeting or four. Attend a prayer meeting. You know, we start the year with a week of prayer and fasting for a purpose. And it's not just for the staff. It's not for the staff. And we need it as much as anyone. But it's to reorient our lives back to God. You know, prayer doesn't just change circumstances. It changes us. It changes you. So prioritizing prayer at the start of the year is such a good way to commit to and get our hearts and our minds aligned with what God would have us do this year. Second, be intentional with the Bible. 
Be intentional. Now, I know that if you're anything like me, you don't want to start a Bible reading plan right now because you've already missed the boat. Right? So the next option is to wait till 2025. You know? <laughs> I'll read my Bible then when I hit it on day one. Let me just encourage you, don't dwell on the days you've missed. Dwell on today. Just pick it up. Pick up your Bible. And if it feels too overwhelming to commit to this year-long thing, just start, commit to reading one book of the Bible and study it deeply and prayerfully and thoughtfully. Another way to be intentional with the Bible is to write notes during sermons. Write notes during sermons. You know, um, as I said, we're, we're, we're starting our series in Exodus next week. Next week, as a reminder, next week we're starting our series in Exodus. And it's going to, as I said, it's going to be long. It's going to feel like an Exodus. <laughs> I'm hoping there won't be an Exodus. Um, but we're going we're gonna to provide these Exodus notebooks that have the scripture and a place to write notes. And so come along, get one of those books, and commit to studying it, not just in what the person says from at the front, but read through it and study it yourself. Talk about it during your community group. Just be intentional with the Bible. Third, try a new spiritual discipline. I think much of the modern Christian life has been flattened. There's lots of things that the church has done throughout history that has helped in our pursuit of holiness, and one of which is fasting, spiritual discipline of fasting. Uh, it's something that Jesus did, something that Christians throughout church history have done, and it's something that we are not particularly good at. And as Dave alluded to, there's going to be, uh, there is on the website just a little reference about what fasting is and how you might do that. So let me encourage you, try and do something like that. Build that into your rhythms. Four, make space in your schedule. Be, be intentional about making space in your schedule. If you're anything like me and Sarah, we've, or anything like Sarah, you started plotting the calendar already, right? Big rocks in the jar, vacations, all of those things. Why not create intentional space for healthy spiritual rhythms that orient, orient your minds towards God? Put those in first. Prioritize those and then figure out what you're going to do with the remainder of the time. Five, be accountable. Holiness, as I said, is not an individualistic, um, solo endeavor. It's something that we're called to together. First Peter and most of the New Testament is written to communities of people, to churches like us, not to individuals. And the reason for this is because your holiness affects me. And my holiness affects you. And our holiness affects our city. So let's do this together. Let's be accountable to one another. And lastly, get going. Get going. Jerry Packer once said that when it comes to personal holiness, the Christian motto shouldn't be let go and let God. It should be trust God and get going. Trust God and get going. We don't just wait to love and to serve and rejoice and give when we feel like it, when our thoughts are completely aligned and completely in order. We start to do these things, and what often happens is our minds start to catch up. And so just start. Get going. Start living into who you have been called to be, who God has already made you to be. Christ City, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Would you stand as we respond?